A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My guest this week is a stand-up comedian, podcaster, popular daytime talk show host, and most importantly in my world, Angie Jordan on 30 Rock. Now that I'm a fashion designer, I'm in a tuple threat. Reality star, actress, singer-songwriter, perfumist, IBS survivor, best-selling author of a book I didn't write. Catchphrase coiner, I'll take that with cheese. Well, they don't all work. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Sherry Shepard as Angie, Tracy Morgan's reality star wife, on 30 Rock. Sherry still calls that role the highlight of her comedy career. But in the 10 years since that show went off the air, she has risen the ranks of daytime television, and last fall launched her very own syndicated talk show called, of course, Sherry. So I was really excited for the chance to talk with her about how she went from doing three-minute spots at one in the morning at comedy clubs in L.A., to guest-starring on shows like Friends in the 90s, to co-hosting The View alongside Barbara Walters, Whoopi Goldberg, and Joy Behar in the 2000s, to now hosting one of the most popular talk shows on daytime television in 2023. This was a really fun talk, so let's get right into it now. Here's me with Sherry Shepard. So are you uh, you had a taping this morning. Are you uh, used to getting up really early yet? Four forty five in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> but it's all good. I can either be I can either be tired because I'm working so hard, or tired because I'm just like calling my agent all the time, going, nobody's calling. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. Oh man, yeah, it was a period. <laughs> not anymore. I feel like you're uh, you're riding high now with your with your show. It's very exciting. Yeah, it is. So yeah, it's just been a little over four months since you launched the daytime show. Um, how has it been going so far? What are sort of the biggest, you know, surprises, things you things you didn't expect? Um, yeah, how's, how's everything going so far? Um, uh, everything is going really, really well. It's really, it's fun being here. It's, it's like now the day-to-day is settling in, all of the behind-the-scenes work to make it look so effortless and to make it look so funny, you know, crafting... Uh, the weird thoughts in my head, you know, onto a script. And um, so it's good. It's a lot of responsibility, but I, I love it. Um, and congrats on already getting renewed through 2025. That's pretty incredible. Oh my gosh. That like uh, two seasons. Yeah, that was <laughs> no pressure there, but it, but it was really nice that, um, you know, th- that everybody made the commitment. You know, they made the investment. So it gives it gives me a little bit of room to like, you know, OK, let's try some stuff now. So that's a good in a way, it kind of takes some pressure off, probably, because you're not sort of waiting on that uh, that renewal. You know, you can sort of settle in for a couple of years. Yeah, it's like I know, OK, now we can really we can really dig our feet in. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of talk about the process of, of putting the show together. Um, you know, you'd obviously done some daytime TV in different formats. Um, but now that you got this opportunity to do your own thing, make your own show with your own name on it, you know, what did you want it to be? And how did you want it to be different from maybe things you'd done before? Um, I just wanted to be I, I wanted it to be I was really clear. I wanted to bring laughter to daytime and I wanted to bring fun to daytime and I wanted to bring a lightness to daytime because I felt like everybody were all going through so much. And sometimes you hear, especially with social media, it's one bad thing after another. It's it's something happening in this country. It's something happening with somebody over here and somebody got robbed and somebody got killed. <laughs> you hear so much and your spirit is just like, you're comatose with bad news. And I, I just wanted this to be a place where people could escape for one hour a day where they go, I'm just gonna laugh till my sides hurt. I'm just gonna have a good time. So um, that's what I've always envisioned in my head. That's what I always wanted, knew what I wanted to do. I didn't so much think about what's going to make me different. I just said, I'm going to do things that I love to do. 
Yeah, well, you're you're stepping into this space after uh, Ellen left, who kind of had a, a similar vibe, I think, and especially as a you know fellow stand-up comedian, um, really embraced that. Um, did you take any specific inspiration from her? Well, I knew, you know, I I was a guest on Ellen's show quite a bit. I used to hold the record and uh, <laughs> being the most booked guest on her show, and so I knew what I liked, and I knew the experience that I had coming on talk shows and like going on Ellen's talk show. Like when you walk, you know, the moment you walked onto her talk show, her staff was so kind and nice and you had a good, you had a good time just walking in. So I knew, Oh, I want to recreate that. I knew in in the dressing room, Ellen had so many goodies in her dressing room that made you feel good. I wanted to recreate that. Only thing I couldn't recreate was she had a whole tree of CBD products in her dress. They had a better, they had a bigger budget. And Sherry, <laughs> that if sounds I good. CBD, yeah. I give you CBD if we could afford it. If we could budget that in the line item, but Maybe you'll get uh, there. I am. That's one of my goals to have a tray <laughs> of CBD products. That'd you be know, great. Yeah, I would like that. If you have bad knees or you just want to feel better, but um, yeah, I just I would watch a lot of I would watch a lot of talk shows and and be like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to make people feel this way. Yeah, I mean, given how positive of an experience you had at Ellen, were you surprised at all when you started hearing some of those stories come out about the sort of toxic environment behind the scenes? Was that it didn't didn't jive with what you uh, what you experienced? Um, yeah, I'm just gonna say this. Everybody, you know, there's the in front of the camera and behind the camera. I never experienced any of that, so. Ellen has always been wonderful to me. She's always been kind and always supportive. So that is the Ellen that I know. So I can't speak to nobody else but what my experience was with Ellen. And that's the one that I knew. That's why I always love to come back and sit on her in the chair next to her. Yeah. I'm wondering though, if you know, when you see something like that, if it makes you think at all about when you're, you know, putting together your show, putting together a staff, you know, making sure that you don't have that same kind of, those same kind of stories about you, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want. So did you, did you think about that at all? Well, I also know there's an energy behind the scenes. Just, you know, what, what you're going to get in front of the camera is very bubbly Sherry and very, I'm going to make you feel good. What you're going to get behind the camera is a more serious Sherry because it's a serious business trying to be funny and to craft a really great show. So I always tell people who work with me in a personal basis or on a staff, don't confuse the two. Don't, don't get it. I'm very serious about what I do. So if you are expecting anybody, like anybody that interviews with me that wants to work with me, if you're expecting that girl, you're in the wrong place. Cause I'm very, I'm, you know, when the camera shut off, I'm very serious about what I need to do. So sometimes, you know, and as a woman, People might look at that like, oh, my gosh, I think they're very quick to call us, you know, the B word. But, you know, I'm very forthcoming. I'm very serious. I'm very determined. And I know what I want. And so, yeah, I'm pretty much like if you are not able to help me get there. So does does that job with this year? It's like, hey, man. I don't know. Depends. (laughs) But I do understand. I do understand that that piece of the puzzle a lot of people think that, yeah, you should be that same way in front of the camera. I think it's kind of impossible to that way if you're if you're a leader and you know management and running stuff. It's so yeah, and you think maybe uh, maybe men in similarly powerful positions don't get the same uh, criticism. No, they don't. I think people expect it from a man. They expect the level of competition. They you know with women it's a little bit harder. And I think people because I'm a comedian and a stand-up comic, people are a little bit taken aback when they get with me and they're like, you gotta be funny. Not if you don't have a check. So (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm a lot more serious with people in my normal day-to-day life. And I know how to turn that on because I, I think as you get, as you go along on this journey, it's just physically impossible to be that. Don't you hate it when you're around a person they're funny twin or they try to be funny 24 yeah, they're always do always on always doing bits always yeah can't be serious it can't be serious it's like it's too much yeah, so there are a lot of comedians who are like that i think when i see those kind of comedians i go how long have you been doing this oh okay well give me another let me talk to you in 10 years <laughs> um i know someone else you got advice from early on was oprah um and you've you know talked about that but i'm I'm curious, uh, you know, how has that sort of manifested in the in the show, in the work um, now that now that you've been doing it for a while, um, the things that she that she told you? Um, I think, you know, she gave me some really good uh, uh, advice and she talked about energy 
And she said, the energy that you put out is what you're going to get back a double from the audience. So I'm really aware of that, of keeping my energy up, of, you know, at the end of the day, nobody cares if you're tired. Nobody cares if you had a, a meeting and it went long. Nobody cares if somebody in your family is acting crazy and you're preoccupied. At the end of the day, they need that energy and they will give you that back. So um, that is what I it, it learned from her. And also with the second, you know, two-year renewal, she said, now where are you going to go? You know, you've proven what you set out to prove. Now, how are you going to be better? I did not think of that. I thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah you were just trying to get get through the get through the day, probably. Yeah, I was like, yeah. She she said, you know, you've proven that you're funny. You've proven that the show is fun. You've proven a feel good time. Now, what are you doing? And I go, uh, I'm going to keep being funny and a good time. And she's like, yeah, no, you got to elevate. So I was like, wait a <laughs> minute, damn, we just got the show. But it really made me think of, okay, what's next? So, you know, when Oprah talks to you, she gives you those little nuggets. You got you to gotta read between the lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you feel like there's a moment that stands out so far that really represents what you want the show to be, what it ideally is? Um, gosh, I think I have those moments with, with every guest that comes on. My, my, you know, if I know them, it's even, it's even better because they know we know each other and we know the journey. If I don't know them, it's like, I'm so excited to meet you and we're going to have fun. I always go up and greet our guests before they even come down to just kind of let them know. Cause sometimes people are nervous too. They don't know what your audience is going to be like. They don't know what the host is going to be like. So I like to let them uh, go upstairs and say, our, our main goal is to have fun. I'm not going to hit you with any gotcha questions. <laughs> We're not going to have any viral moments where I said, aha, you know, and um, I think that's really, really important. So do I have any that stuck out? Uh, man, Jennifer Lewis came on and made a song on the spot. I just wrote this for you last night. Oh, Jennifer. Sherry, Sherry, we're all so proud of you. You got your own show. We all knew you would. Yeah, baby. See, we knew. <laughs> your best friend Kim told me you got a crush on Cat Williams and <laughs> Trevor Noah, too. Oh, yes. Well, get in line, honey. I love it when people come out and they will, you know, they know what I've gone through and to be sitting across from me. And I love, you know, and they acknowledge that. And I love people coming on that I just want to give flowers to. John Lithgow, he came on the show and I was ecstatic. Then you got a Gabriel Iglesias who used to give me a ride when I had no car. And he had, his car was, you know, he, it would backfire so much. It sounded like somebody was shooting his car. <laughs> with a gun. So for us to be sitting across from each other and he sells out uh, the Dodger Stadium, I'm sitting on my talk show. It just, it, it takes on a, a, a even more special meaning. Yeah, that must be very surreal. Yeah. You know, talking about the, you know, that you're not going to hit people with gotcha questions and you're not going to sort of, you know, it's, you want it to be fun. Does that, it, it does seem like there's a difference between that and maybe some of what you experienced on The View, which is, much more about that and much more about hot topics and kind of, um, you know, controversy in a way and really trying to get at these things. Um, you obviously spent seven years on The View as a, as a co-host, um, and now you've been on this show for a few months. How has the experience uh, been different uh, doing the, doing your own show versus what it was like to be at that table with, with those other women um, and maybe going after controversy in a different way? Well, number one, I'm able to talk and I'm not... <laughs> you can get a word in. I'm not arguing with the co-hosts during the commercial break going, can you just let me speak? Can you just <laughs> interrupt me? Because we did have those moments, you know, it was good. But we did have those moments where we were just like, I just, or Joy going, you stepped on my joke. So just to be able to do that and know, okay, nobody is going, I'm not fighting anybody for airspace. It's different. It's also different because when I was on The View, I, you know, I came on, I didn't really know about politics. Now I love talking politics. I love it. But this is a politic-free talk show. We don't do that. You can watch The View. You can watch Rachel Maddow or somebody on Fox. You're not getting it here. But 
I was always on the view and I, I knew that I brought the fun and I brought the laughter and I brought the, you know, part of that heart and having a good time. I was the one that would try out any, anything they wanted me to do. I was there. You want a zip lining? I'll do it. I love <laughs> culture. So that's kind of the same, but I get to do it in, in an elongated fashion. It's, it was just me bringing a good time. I don't have to, t- I don't have to find out what other people want. At the table, it's just me. So even when I did, I went back and did the Barbara Walters tribute. I was trying to talk, and I remember Lisa Ling grabbed my elbow, like, okay, cut it. I need to say my thing. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> yeah, I love that you went back for that, and it was really fun hearing you know, everyone talk about Barbara Walters. Um, can you talk, you know, here about what your relationship was, was like with her? Because I think um, she did become a real mentor of sorts to you, right? Yes, she did. She was a big mentor. And I even, you know, sitting there, you know, talking, I said, oh, I have so many more stories. And it was really comforting to know that, yes, I can only do maybe one or two here on The View, but oh my gosh, I got a talk show. I can can, like devote 18 minutes to talking about Barbara Walters and nobody's going to tell me it's too long because I got my own show. So that was really, you know, uh, for me, I was like, I couldn't wait. But she really, Barbara was instrumental in me finding my voice. She was instrumental in me being very clear about what I wanted. She, you know, taught me how not to take no for an answer, to be curious about people. She taught me to speak up and to get past the fear. So she was tough on me. She was really, really tough on me. But but I'm glad because it helps me in this area right here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. You, you've talked before about how the view at times was a very painful experience, uh, maybe because Barbara Walters was so hard on you. So, yeah, how did you how did you manage that at the time? And were you were you grateful for it then, or was it is it taken some time for you to sort of realize, uh, you know, what it what it meant? Oh no, I wasn't grateful for it then at all. I, I was not <laughs> happy at all. I was like, I don't, I can't cry anymore. Tears. I, you do you not like me? You are every day you are getting on me for something, lady. So no, I didn't appreciate it then at all. Uh, the last day she left, she put her hand on my face and she said, I'm the most proud of you. You did the work, you, your homework, you did the research. And she complimented me and she said, I love you, dear. And she steps in the elevator and I start crying. And as the doors close, she goes, what are you crying for? <laughs> that was pretty much our relationship. So now I see it. I, you know, as I, as I move forward, I saw, oh, okay, my confidence, that came from Barbara. They came from her hitting on me. Oh, okay. I'm not afraid to say no. They came from Barbara. And it really hit home when I found out that she had passed of all nuggets that she, that I got to have, you know, I got to be around her for seven seasons. So, wow. Yeah. And she kind of helped you as well through some of your own, to navigate some of your own controversies on the show, right? I mean, uh, you know, I think that the most famous is the whole, uh, the world is flat uh, conversation that happened on the show, which are you able to laugh about that now? Or uh, do you feel? Oh my gosh. Yes. Because it, you know, it was like during my first few weeks and being so nervous and not listening, but I learned to do listen because I honestly was so zoned out. I got adult ADD. I was so zoned out. I, and I was so nervous because Barbara had already told us, beforehand, she said, I want to debate my Christian friend on evolution. And I I don't debate. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing. So I was already zoned out nervous and scared that I didn't even hear them ask me, you believe the earth is round or flat? I literally was into, oh my gosh, did I pay the water bill? Who's picking up my son from preschool? (laughs) I was so not present. And I did not know how big the view was. I did not know internationally how huge this show was until I got the backlash. The next day I was in tears and she came and she said, I hired you because I know you can do this. And what I learned from that was be present, you know, make sure you're, you're, you're up on your homework. If she wants to debate you, make sure you're ready to do that. So, you know, when I look at it now, I can laugh at it. I wasn't then, but failure is not something that you got to fear. Failure. If you fall, you got nowhere to go but up. And that's what I did. And now, like, 
You know, I got on a show where I knew nothing about politics because I never voted because of the religion I was in. Now I love talking about politics. So when I'll not talk to you about politics. And I learned that from Barbara. Did you start voting? I voted. That was my first year voting on The View when President Obama ran. I, we voted and my son had a temper tantrum. We almost voted Republican that particular day. He was acting up so bad. I didn't know <laughs> what the heck I was feeling out. But uh, yeah, that was my first year voting. Yeah. I mean, that, that backlash that you talk about must be, it just must be very challenging. And it's, it's sort of constant on that show. Um, you know, there's always people getting outraged about something. I know, you know, Joy uh, Behar and Whoopi Goldberg have probably dealt with the most of it in the recent years. Um what did you learn from that experience of facing that backlash of, of getting criticism? Just cause I, it, you have to learn how to, you know, deal with it. And, and, you know, I, and maybe it won't happen on this show, but you never know. Um, and, uh, what did you, what did you take away from, from those experiences? Well, number one, I go, of course, it's going to happen on the show. Of course. So, because if, if you're sailing through life going, everybody's going to love me. Everything that I say, you are, this is not the business you need to be in. But the one thing that I learned from The View was from Joy. She said, when you open up your mouth, half the world is going to hate what you say. She said, already half the world is going to hate what you say. And I learned from The View that you can't be apologizing for everything. I remember there was a couple things that happened and I got a lot of backlash and I went to Bill Getty and Barbara Walters. And, and Barbara said, if we apologize for everything we said, this would be called the apology show. When you, you're not going to sit up there and you're not apologizing. So I learned that this too shall pass, that, you know, it's on to the next thing. You get another news cycle and people are going to forget what you said. As long as you, they don't forget how you made them feel, you're all right. Coming up, Sherry takes us back to her earliest days in comedy and shares hilarious stories from the sets of Friends, 30 Rock, The Sex Lives of College Girls, and more. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our conversations with other stand-up comedians turned talk show hosts like Sarah Silverman, Larry Wilmore, Chelsea Handler, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Sherry Shepard. So let's talk about comedy because, uh, you know, this this podcast really, uh, I mostly talk to comedians and um, I know comedy is very important to you. As you said on your show, um, you have the uh, the Laugh Lounge, right, where you, you invite comedians on um, to not exactly do stand-up, but maybe uh, share some bits with you in, in, the, in a different way. Um, so yeah, why, why did you, uh, you want to make that such a big part of your show and, and really highlight uh, comedians in that way? You know, because I've been doing stand-up comedy since... Oh my gosh, 19, I got married in 2001, 1998, 1999. I've been doing stand-up comedy. I became a regular, I was standing in line all day and all night at the Laugh Factory to do a three-minute spot. 
I stood in line <laughs> at the improv to sign up for their open mic night. I auditioned for Mitzi Shore at the comedy store 23 times before she made me a regular. My name is up on the wall above the main room. Stand-up comedy is my life. I always, always had dreamed of doing something where I could honor my fellow comics who might not necessarily be able to get booked on a talk show and sit on the couch, but I could have them come and do, they could do what they do best. And gosh, if somebody saw them, if they could send that tape to an agent or a director or something, if I could be instrumental in helping them do that, oh my gosh, that's what I've always wanted to do. So my laugh lounge is so sacred to me. Did you have a first big break uh, early on, something that really sort of made you feel like you could keep going and, and keep doing comedy? I had so many breaks doing stand-up. I got my first development deal at 20th Century Fox. I remember it was like I'd ne- I, I had gotten evicted at the time, but it was my first development deal. I got $100,000. That was so much money to me, uh, very first development deal. I've gotten sitcoms from doing um, stand-up. I've gotten guest stars on shows because Hollywood was a place that everybody went. So I would have somebody come to see me on stage and they call me in for an audition. So I, I Mitzi Shore, I loved her like I love Barbara Walters because she, once she believed in me and she said, you're funny, we have to put you up in the main room. <laughs> Like it, it just, it meant so much because that was the place these comedy clubs folks would go to find that next somebody. So I've gotten so many opportunities. Um, I had a sitcom called Sherry and I were, and I had worked out, it was based upon my life of my husband cheating with <laughs> this white girl. She had a baby and how we now like completely get along. And I worked that whole 30 minute set out on stage at the comedy store. And then somebody called me in because they loved it so much. And they're like, how would you like to do a show based on that? So stand-up comedy, I learned to, you know, stick it out. Marlon and Sean Wayans came to a little bit of open mic. I had taken the bus there because my car was repossessed. And I was there at the right time. I signed up. And every time she said next, she would bump me. And then Marlon and Sean came in because they were doing, um, it wasn't in Living Color, it was that the Marlon, the Wayans brothers, their show. And they came in and bumped me and they did each an hour and a half. <laughs> One did, and I'm sitting there going, I got to be back at the uh, legal, I got my legal secretary. I got to take the bus, the bus stops running on sunset at 1145 and it is 10.30. And then uh, Sean went up first, then Marlon went up. And I was like, I missed my bus. How am I going to get home? And, uh, but by the time they got off, it was still one person. And I asked the lady, can you still put me up? And Marlon looking at me going, you're really funny. Spike Lee saw me, said I was funny. And I remember Martin Lawrence saw me. And so those were the things that kept me going. Andrew Dice Clay, I love Dice. Ian Eddie Griffin were the ones who encouraged me to get on stage. So That's amazing, I, that, yeah. stand up is, is just a very much a part of my life. Um, one of your very first acting gigs uh, was on Friends, famously. Um, you have that great scene opposite Matt LeBlanc. Um, was that something that, that you auditioned for or somebody saw you in a club or how did that happen? I'm Rhonda and these aren't real. What is that? Say? <laughs> hey, hey, Peter, I gave you my snack pack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah from, I'm Rhonda from PS129. Oh, uh, would you mind sitting there? I'm saving the seat for my friend Ross. You mean Dr. Geller? Doctor? Oh, I didn't know he had a nickname. <laughs> oh, he won't sit here. Only the people in the white coats sit over there. And only the people in the blue blazers sit over here. Well, how, how come? That's just the way it is. That's crazy. Maybe it's crazy in a perfect world. A world without lab coats and blazers. But you not in a perfect world. You in a museum now. <laughs> See that scientist with the glasses? He and I used to play together all the time in grade school. <laughs> but now, Peter! Hey, Peter! It's me, Rhonda, from PS129. I shared my pudding with you, man. I gave you my snack pack. See, he pretend he don't even hear me. I think everybody's pretending they don't hear you. 
people still ask me, like, if you in the store, can I say the lines? With that, with friends, I got my agent from doing stand-up. And I got an agent who saw me do stand-up at a showcase. Um, and it was a showcase with Jamie Foxx. That's when he was struggling, Chris Tucker. And they asked me to come and they represented me. And I went out and auditioned for Friends. That was written for an uh, older white woman. And I booked it. And with my little glasses, I didn't know I shouldn't be wearing glasses on a show. <laughs> I, I booked it and uh, that, you know, wow, that was like the the best. I had just done a guest star for Suddenly Susan. So when I went over there, I just remember that everybody was so nice to me. I'm um, friends, Jennifer Aniston and everybody else that was over there. So it, and that that helped me become a regular on Suddenly Susan with Andy. Dick and Brooke Shields and Kathy Griffin. But I know the, the Friends role itself didn't exactly change your life because I, I know there's a story about uh, you you were still uh, still doing the legal secretary work after that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, after Friends, I still had to go. I lived in a part of L.A. called The Jungle where they filmed Training Day with uh, Denzel. That's where I live. And I lived in the jungle with my girlfriend. I was sleeping on her couch because I had gotten evicted from my apartment and I had to take the bus off Crenshaw to Beverly Hills, Century City, to be a legal secretary. And darn it, if I didn't have a temp job and I worked for, um, oh, geez, David David, Schwimmer's father, Mr. Schwimmer. And he was a a lawyer. And they had the whole picture of everybody, you know, where they hugged everybody, of friends. That was the most depressing job I've ever had (laughs) in my life because Mr. Schwimmer used to bring uh, any other, any attorney that, came to the office, he would come and bring him and go, this is Sherry. She was on my son's show. So depressing. And I had my bag lunch and I would go outside and sit on the bench and eat my lunch and be more depressed going, is this what my life is all about? I am homeless. I live in the jungle and I'm working for David Schwimmer's father when I was on a show just last week. <laughs> so what was it that that made it so that you could stop doing, you know, the, the day job and, and really do, you know, show business full time? Um, I said I was going to stop being a legal secretary and I said, I'm jumping out there on faith. I'm just going to do it. I have no option. I'm not you going just had to, to go for it. I said, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to have a plan B. Uh, I was promptly evicted from my apartment because <laughs> apparently my landlord was like, no, you need a plan B or you won't yeah, be like, you need a job. Yeah. You need a job. But I just said, I'm not going to, I'm not doing a job anymore. I am going to pursue going on the road 100% and my acting 100%. And then I got an audition for this show called Everybody Loves Raymond. And uh, that was written for Queen Latifah uh, for the role of Sergeant Judy, Brad Garrett's partner on Everybody Loves Raymond. And I needed that gig. I needed that job so bad. They said, well, we wrote it for Queen Latifah. But we don't know if she can do it because she's got this movie with Holly Hunter and Danny DeVito called Living, Living Out Loud. And I said, I'm not going to wish that she gets her leg broken. You know, when they say break a leg, I don't want that to happen. But Lord, <laughs> could you bless her to book this movie? Because I need this job. And you did. Job. <laughs> um, then, of course, there was 30 Rock, which I, I feel like we have to talk about because I, I love you on that show. And it's it's just so funny, your role um, opposite Tracy Morgan. And I, I can imagine that acting opposite him as, you know, husband and wife is probably a highlight and, and something that, that is that must have been very fun to do. So what was your experience like, uh, you know, getting that show and, and, and doing those scenes? Oh, just life changing. That was actually a role that Tina Fey offered me. And I remember I was going to start The View and she offered me this role. I didn't know much about 30 Rock. I knew Tracy Morgan. I knew Tina Fey. And I did not know how crazy Tracy Morgan was, because the first thing he said when he saw me, he that thing, and I thought it was just like, he was like, I'm going to get you pregnant. Like, he really says that. Yeah. You? <laughs> he really says that. And um, it was a scene where I had to rip off my clothes, and we had to have <laughs> wild sex in the apartment. And I was like, what, ca- what did I sign on to? But Tina Fey wrote me the most amazing stuff, and playing Tracy Morgan's wife is literally the highlight of my career doing that show. I hope you're at peace with your God, Tracy Jordan, because you are about to meet your maker. Honey, you seem upset. I spent the last 20 years supporting you. I had three of your children. I gave you a kidney, a kneecap, and a bladder. But I ask you to do one thing, and you can't do it. 
All I wanted was a standing ovation and for people to tweet that I was the new icon for black womanhood and then for me to tweet, why just black womanhood? Instead, I got nothing. He lived above me. We lived in, in well, it used to be called the Trump building. They took his name off the building, but we used to live in that building. And um, his shark tank exploded, which it was illegal to have a shark tank and it exploded. <laughs> Flooded my entire apartment. Oh my God. Water was coming out of the walls from Tracy Morgan's shark tank that exploded. And I grabbed my wigs and my son in that <laughs> order. And I fled the apartment. Yeah, you didn't want that shark or, coming down there either. Well, I don't think the shark could fit through the walls. Yeah. <laughs> it was on the floor flopping around. But it, yeah, flooded out my apartment. <laughs> I told Tracy, you owe me so much money. Yeah. So, did yeah, did he know, deliver? He did give me some money. He did give yeah, me some money, Tracy. That's good. That's good. Um, is, there a, is there a scene or, or episode or something that really stands out from, from your time on that show? Um, something that you just loved filming? Yeah, I think where I had to slap Tina Fey. I just slapped Tina Fey and uh, it, it was, I had to throw, like, I had to throw uh, water in her face. And it was so hard for me. I think we probably did it six times. And I would throw it on her blouse and she kept saying, Sherry, you have to throw the water in my face. And I said, Tina, you're my boss. Like, I, this is hard. I'm supposed to have a meeting with Jack Donaghy. Do you not know where your own husband is? I know they're not married. I just like them to know I don't give a f about their lives. Jack's probably busy, Angie. His wife was kidnapped, but now she's coming back and all these cameras are around, so they've been following him everywhere. Uh-huh. I see what's happening. Jack's not just blowing me off. He's trying to ruin my big night. No, Angie, what's happening with him is No, what's happening is the chic fashion show. That's what people want to know about. And Tracy's planning a huge surprise for me at the end. Really? What is it? I don't know, Liz. It's a surprise. Do you know what a surprise is? Now you do. You didn't even have a drink. And I finally threw it in her face and it was great. And I think I had to like take, pull out part of her weave from her hair. It was all physical stuff with Tina. And um, that was just, that was just so much fun. And I think there was one where I had to run and jump in Alec Baldwin's arms and he had <laughs> laid gently on the couch. They wrote, the best stuff. They really did, yeah. It's such a good show and really, really holds up. Um, more recently, I've, I've loved watching you on The Sex Lives of College Girls, which is another really great show. Um, how did that one come to you? And, and you're playing a, a U.S. senator in that one, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am play Vet Chase, one of the, like, the second most powerful senator. Yeah, uh, that must be fun. It's so much fun because I get, yeah, I don't, I'm, it's not bubbly. It's very much this and, and, and you know, loving the... I, spotlight kind of yeah maybe it's more like behind the scenes sherry it's the behind the yeah it is behind the scenes sherry how did that mindy kaylin offer she she sent me a letter she sent me an email and she said i have this part that i think would be perfect for you and i can i can completely see your voice would you come and play with us and i said yes now i didn't know that they had given it to another actress and she got fired oh really <laughs> yes Who was it I don't remember her name. She was on a show called, um, what was that show that Oprah had on her network? Was Greenleaf the one with the pastors? Yeah, she was on a show called Greenleaf. You know, she played like, a, she played one of the daughters. But I don't, I don't remember her name. But she had it, but she was a dramatic actress. So she played, she played the senator with a lot of dramatic flair. And if you know <laughs> Mindy Kaling, like The Office, and you see all these, you know, it was all improv comics. The only ones that weren't experienced were the girls, but the parents, they were all improv. They were all second city. And definitely, like, yeah. You walk in and you go, this is, this is like comedy. And um, yeah, Rob Hubel's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So absolutely amazing. And so my first day, that's what they all told me. Yeah, we had another girl in here, but they fired her. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Oh, um, good to know. I think that's really good to know. And um, Mindy Kaling was just like, her and Josh were like, go crazy you were the sinner <laughs> you love the spotlight you work hard but you will you will you know play the race card in a heartbeat <laughs> we like you to curse too so this role has just i love sex lives with college girls that's we a really great show yeah senator yvette chase from the great state of washington it is so lovely to meet all of you hey i'm whitney 
Of course. There you are. My daughter. Oh, it's very exciting to meet you, Your Honor. <laughs> you don't have to bow. Can I take a photo with you to put on the wall of one of my restaurants? Maybe later. Earl, can you close the door? I have a few things I want to say. In private. It's a great show. We got picked up for the third season. Oh, nice. I get to be a talk show host and still do my acting. So, we will, yeah, we'll be working on it the third, it, it, this summer. Like film. Um. So you have the you have the talk show, you have acting. Do you still get to perform stand up much now that you're you know so busy? Do you do you have time for that? That was probably one of the hardest things to let go because doing a talk show requires so much for me to be here mentally, and I was trying to get to the cellar. Yeah, and you have I to get up so early. <laughs> I have to get up early, but I was going to the cellar. I was going to you know the stand in New York, New York, and I was getting home at one in the morning and having to get up at five. And I literally could not focus. And um, it was my girlfriend, Niecy Nash. And, and I kept you, saying, I'm so tired, but I love stand-up so much. And she said, Sherry, when are you going to live the reality of the dream that you dreamt for so long? So I had to make a decision to stop doing stand-up. And she said, Sherry, most stand-ups are trying to get to where you are. You don't have anything to prove. Because it's like, I, feel, I always feel like I got to get on that stage and prove that I'm still funny, that I'm st- I still deserve to be here because you never know who's going to pop in. I think one time Chappelle popped in and he was watching. I got to show Dave Chappelle. I got to show Cat Williams. He's here that I am a pure stand up, but I'm, I can't do my talk show. So I have I am going on tour this summer in between shooting Sex Lives with College Girls. I am going on tour with my girlfriend, Kim Whitley because we have our Two Funny Mamas podcast. So we will be going, we, and only once a month, because we're a single mom. So I can't go out like, uh, like the, the like, it's like Gabe and D.L. Hughley, where they go out every single weekend. We, once a- Do you feel like, you know, we were talking about sort of your different, your on-screen persona and your behind-the-scenes persona. Do you feel like it's a third persona that's uh, on the stand-up stage? Because, you know, I've seen some of your stand-up and it's, uh, it's a little raunchier than, than what we see on, on daytime television. And I got to say, I am going through it. I am going through it. I I can cry right now. I got a 14-year-old. I got a teenager. I don't know if anybody has teenagers here in the audience. You got a teen, boy or girl? A boy. Can you tell me what the fuck happens to them? (laughs) My son hates me. Like he, everything I do irritates my son. My son used to smell like mangoes and pineapples and he would hug me and I could nuzzle his neck. Now he just smells like ass all the time. <laughs> like I don't know, sir, what that ass smell is that just follows you around. I don't care how much cologne you put on, there's a face and an ass always. <laughs> Yeah, I tell people when they come see my stand-up. And, you know, when I first started doing stand-up, I was not raunchy at all. I was not blue. I was so Christian, Christian girl clean. I never cursed. <laughs> my hair in two French braids with bows on the end. Bobby socks and tennis shoes, if you can believe it or not. And um, I got to this point in my life where I was like, I like to curse. So why am I not doing it? On- I don't have anything, you know, because normally people say, oh, my God, if you're blue, they won't book you for TV. But I feel like... I've gone so far. So like I I tell people when they come and see me, this is not like, this is not the lady from Friends. This is not the lady from The View. I curse. I talk about grown folk stuff. So I don't like kids in my audience. I'm not doing bar mitzvahs. I'm not doing children's parties. (laughs) I don't want to see no, not one child. (laughs) I don't even like seeing them in my talk show because people, you have to be, you can be 16. And what what is, I don't talk about nothing for a 16 year old. That's that's the rule we have. But um, (laughs) yeah, I'm blue. I'm blue when I go up on stage because I'm grown. (laughs) Uh, So what I want to do now is our segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to run through some firsts in your life and career uh, around comedy um, and maybe get some some quick answers on that. Uh, So going all the way back to childhood, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Something you saw or heard that really made you laugh early on? Dolomite, the signifying monkey. (laughs) (laughs) That was was it? Him and Red Fox. You like well, that was pretty. Aaron that was pretty like raunchy. Record. I mean, for a for a young Christian girl. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they were really raunchy, and my parents were gone. And I saw Dolomite, who Eddie Murphy played Dolomite on Netflix, and um, I put on the the record on the record player, and he had this thing called Signifying Monkey. It was the nastiest thing. 
<laughs> I just had my hand in front of my mouth. Oh, it was so nasty. And, um, but I laughed. And then he, they had Rich uh, Red Fox. And I listened to his stuff on a record. He was nasty. <laughs> but I was cracking up. When was the first time that you knew that you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Um, when I was young, my parents and my family used to have like a Sunday variety show after we got out of church. And I would always win That's because I was always making people laugh. And when I started doing like, uh, I started doing stand-up and I would go to all of these open mic because my they was always repossessing my car and putting a lien on my check that I got from my job. So I never had money. So I would go and do these open mics where you could win $100. And I would win all the time unless it was a black woman singing gospel. Oh, yeah. I can't I'm compete off. with that. I could not compete with a gospel singer, but if there was no gospel singer, <laughs> I got that hundred dollars. What about the very first time you performed stand up in front of a crowd? Uh, what do you remember about that experience? Uh, it was the very first time I got on stage at LA Cabaret in Encino, California, and all of the lawyers and legal secretaries from my law firm, Irvin and Cohen Jessup, came to see me perform, and. Uh, I had taken comedy classes, and when I got on stage, my back was to the audience half the time because I was so nervous. But when I first heard the very first wave of laughter, I knew I was never quitting. It just, it was something to hear that laughter at jokes that I told. I, I was hooked. Do you remember the first joke or first bit or something that really worked that you could keep going back to and you felt really, really good about um, something you wrote? Yes, it was two jokes. One was uh, my boyfriend, my boyfriend um, forgot to get me uh, flowers for Valentine's Day. And I said, why didn't you get me flowers for Valentine's Day? And he said, baby, baby, I was going to get you some roses. But before I could, the light turned green. That was the one. <laughs> the second one was that whenever I did West Hollywood and did the club for the boys, uh, I said to them, it's just so horrible knowing that y'all don't want me. But don't worry. I went to the pleasure chest and I got one of them things that you strap on. We can negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> and that did well. <laughs> that was always, always $100 with that joke. <laughs> um, what do you remember about your late night stand-up debut? I, I believe you performed uh, stand-up on, on Jay Leno's show for the first time late night. Is that right? Jay Leno made me do stand-up because I normally would sit on his couch. Jay's a stand-up. And he said, you are a stand-up. You need to do stand-up. And I said, Jay, no, I'm coming on the show as an actress. He said, you're going to do stand-up. And I was standing behind the curtain and I was so nervous. And it literally was like God saying, you, you've been prepared for this. You've been doing stand-up all your life. So when I, I, got, a, I got a picture of me doing my stand-up and Jay looking at me like this. I don't know if he was looking at my boobs or he was laughing at my jokes, but he was looking at me like that. And uh, that was my first time that I'd done stand-up on TV. Do you have a story about an, uh, an audition that you did early in your career, um, either because it went really well or didn't go really well or something you, you didn't get that you really wanted? Um, just when you think about auditions, what stands out in your mind? I was two things that I didn't get. I auditioned for In Living Color with Amy Fox. We were all like so excited to be auditioning for this show. And I got three callbacks. Jamie kept getting callbacks, but I was so devastated when they didn't call me back anymore. And because uh, I really, that would have been my first big gig. So I didn't get it. Jamie went on to get in Living Color. And when I auditioned for Def Jam, when they had Def Jam comedy, I got on that stage and I swear it was everybody. Earthquake, D.L. Hughley, Jamie Foxx, Chris Tucker. Oh my gosh, it was so many. It was Monique, Cheryl Underwood. This was at the Black Club. And they came uh, to see us and I bombed so bad. I, I, because I got on the stage and I was like, hey everybody, what's up? What, you know, and I was doing it. And D.L. Hughley was like, uh, you're not going on Def Jam. And I was like, why not? <laughs> and... Uh, I bombed so bad that they kind of did like the Apollo thing. Get off. They were trying to get you off. I cried. You got all the hook. I cried. Oh, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, Dale Hughley said, if you don't come back, we'll never see you again. You got to get back on the stage. So I came back, but I never did Def Jam. Oh, that's tough. That was a hard one. Uh, do you remember the first time you met one of your really big comedy heroes uh, and what it was like to, to meet them for the first time? Uh, Dice. 
Andrew Dice Clay was the very first one that I met. He was standing there after he had gone on stage when I was the legal secretary. He made the women mad because that's when he was doing the hickory dickory dock. My, my, you know, your wife's mouth. He made was, a lot of people mad. <laughs> yeah. And um, he was on stage and one of the women turned around and she said to me, you're as funny as he is. You could get up on that stage and do that. And that planted the seed. And Eddie Griffin got up and killed. And I went up to both of them that night. And I said, how do I do this? And they said, you just get on stage and do it. And I said, I'm scared. And I can't remember if it was Dice or Eddie Griffin. They said, do it scared, which has always been my mantra. So those were the first two that I met. And then seeing, um, oh my gosh, so seeing Whoopi. I cried when I first met her at Comic Relief. I just, oh, yeah. Years. Yeah. And then you, you couldn't have imagined at that point that you would have such a close relationship. I mean, in, in, a, in a TV talk show co-host. Yeah, that I would work with her. And, you know, just that uh, comics that I've always admired, like, you know, George Lopez is coming on the show. I love George. But the fact that I can call up George and get advice, the fact that I can call up Jay Leno and get advice, or Wanda Sykes will text me. I go, oh, my gosh, she's a, like, huge comic. Now, Jamie ain't returned my phone calls, probably because I talk about them all. <laughs> um, but the fact that I, I have these comics that I've been watching for years and they're in my, like, I can call them and say, I need you to do me a solid, come on my show. It's, you know, Mark Curry and Chelsea, Chelsea Handler and Amy Schumer. It's, it's pretty cool. Is there one comedian who you would just really love to have on the show more than anybody else? Someone who you, you know, maybe is a, a long shot, but, but you hope it happens someday? Chris Rock. I, will, I would love to have Chris Rock on my show. And every time I text Chris, He'll say, I'm coming, I'm coming, and he never comes. Now, he gave me a reference for Raya. He was like, yeah, you can, I can be your reference for Raya. I got a Raya, Chris. But I'm like, I actually would like you to come on my show, Chris. I didn't even do it. He gave, cast me in his movie, Top Five. And I'm like, Chris, can you come on my show? Um, and he keeps saying he will, but I really... Yeah, he hasn't I done really, a lot of interviews uh, recently. No, but, he uh, has Maybe that'll change at some point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would love to have him on this show as well. Um, you might get him first. We'll see. Well, whoever, if he comes on your show first, because you asked him to come on my show. Yeah, I will. I'll definitely do that. Sherry, this was so much fun. I'm so glad that we got to do this. And uh, congrats on all of your success and, and just very exciting. Thank you. Thank you for going through the comedy lane. I love talking stand up. And uh, that was fun. Awesome. Thank you. That was very fun. So thanks again to Sherry Shepard for taking some time out of her very busy schedule to chat with me today. You can visit SherryShowTV.com to find out where and when you can watch her daytime talk show in your area. And you can listen to her Two Funny Mamas podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.